You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. And as you're doing that, can I just remind you of what an incredible privilege it is to gather together and to be in a place where God answers the prayer, show us your glory. It's the way we started the service this morning. And uh, what a privilege it is to gather what you just experienced. So many people in this world have never experienced. To be caught up in the glory of God and to offer Him unashamed adoration and to sense His presence among us. Micah and I, along with my wife Andrea, spent this last week in a little country in Central America called Belize. Belize um, is a place that uh, is very economically impoverished and very spiritually impoverished. Our purpose for being there was, uh, we believe God wants us to plant a Harvest Bible Chapel in Belize. All in favor of Belize having a Harvest Bible Chapel, or two, or three, or five, or ten. Uh, we would love to see him do that. And so uh, there were five Harvest Bible Chapel senior pastors that went down there. Each one of us had someone with us from our various churches. And Micah taught and led on worship as only Micah can teach and lead in worship. And I got to teach and preach and train pastors in preaching and, and other pastors in leadership and doctrine and direction and discipline, all the things that make up a vertical church. We want to export what God is doing here down there in Belize. And so uh, be praying about that. We'll be sharing more about that tonight. If you'll come to our Fresh Encounter prayer meeting tonight, we'll uh, be praying uh, for that. Uh, really, the way it would start is that God would identify a man that would partner with us and we could train and, and invest in and that uh, we could uh, see God bring a church through that man's ministry. So uh, be praying about that. And um, in... Um, uh, what we're doing, uh, what we would desire to do there is what we need to model here this morning. So you've got your Bibles open to uh, Joshua chapter 7. And uh, the last time that we were together, if you remember, we were in Joshua chapter 6. And uh, you remember that the theme of that message, the theme of chapter 6 is, is spiritual victory. Spiritual victories are fought and won by faith. And as much as that was a climactic moment of God's people experiencing spiritual victory... As soon as we get into chapter 7, we flip the coin, and the theme of chapter 7 is spiritual defeat. Here's the theme. Certain defeat awaits the people who tolerate hidden sin. If chapter 6 was a high point, a mountaintop, we get into chapter 7 and we are right back in the valley. We're going, to learn we're going to learn five things about hidden sin this morning. How many of you have ever watched that television show, is CSI? Anybody ever watched that? And then there's like CSI Miami and there's CSI every other country. It, what we're about to get into in chapter 7, this is CSI Jericho, okay? What does CSI stand for? Crime scene investigation. What we find in chapter 7 is a crime scene. And we have to find out who done it. Let's find out who done it. Let's begin reading here in chapter 7, verse 1. The people of Israel broke faith. Everybody underline those two words in verse 1, broke faith. The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, 
the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Well, we find out very quickly who done it. That's kind of the opening scene of this episode of CSI Jericho. And now we got to figure out how did that happen and why did that happen? Here's the first thing we're going to learn about hidden sin. Hidden sin angers God. Is that hard for you to grasp? Notice here in verse 1, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Why is that? Well, Israel had violated the covenant that God had pulled them into. And we read back over in verse 18 of chapter 6, if you'll let your eyes go back to verse 18, you'll notice this was the command as God's people entered this territory, the promised land. Verse 18, God told them, But you keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. God would not allow the people to plunder the possessions of Jericho. Everything was to be burned. Everything was to be completely annihilated except for the treasure that was to go into the treasury of the Lord. And yet there was a man that God has greedy little fingers on some of the stuff. He's identified here in verse 1 as the man named, what was his name? Achan, and by the end of the story, he was Achan. Um, uh, Things did not go well. He brought trouble upon himself, and he brought trouble upon the people of God, and his sin angered God. Do you have room in your theology for a God who gets angry? Do you? He's like, oh, that's the Old Testament God. I like to believe in the New Testament God. He's all about love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Listen, there's only one God. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sin angers God. You say, well, I can't really reconcile that because how could a loving God be angry? Uh, Do we have any parents in the room? (laughs) Where, Where are the parents? How many of you have at least one child that you love? Okay? I mean, a couple of them are questionable and harder to love. I I get that. But you have one, right? Yeah, you have at least one child that you love, right? And you love this child. You would give your life for this child. But let me ask you, does that child ever do something stupid that angers you? And yet, when you are angry at this child, do you stop loving the child? No, it's your love that lays the foundation for the anger because what you're angry at is they are forfeiting the best for their lives. You're angry at the scars and the damage and the pain that they're inviting into their life because you love them so much. Um, Have you seen Micah's kids? Cutest kids, Reese, Callie, and Blaze. Do you know I do not get angry when Micah's kids do something stupid? I mean, I like Reese, Callie, and Blaze. We had them over at the house last night after the service. I especially like Blaze. I'm really fond of Blaze. I like them. I like them all. But I don't get angry when they do something stupid. Why? They're not my kids. 
right? That's Micah's responsibility. And Micah loves them far greater than I ever could. Now, when Zach does something stupid, I get angry, okay? Because I want him to have the best. And if you're a parent, you can understand how God can love and experience anger at the same time. Mark it down. Hidden sin angers God. It's a real emotion of a real God. Now, some of us have trouble understanding this because when you and I get angry, we are almost always in sin, right? The Bible tells us that there is a, a way to experience anger without sinning. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us to be angry, but do not sin. So it's possible, but how often do you sin when you get angry? It's almost all the time, right? The Bible tells us over in James chapter 1 that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But when we think about the anger of God, realize this. The anger of God always produces the righteousness of God. Because God is perfect in all of His ways. He has absolute moral perfection. Everything He does is right. And when we do something stupid, it produces an anger in God. Listen, without the anger of God, love, grace, and forgiveness has absolutely no meaning. Until you understand that because of sin, I have made myself an object of God's anger. Until you grasp the weight of that concept, you have no need for a God who mercifully forgives. Without the anger of God, the cross of Jesus Christ has no point. If you want to see a picture of the anger of God towards sin... Think about what happened on that cross. That was a picture of the anger of God being poured out on Jesus Christ because of the anger God has toward every sin. Now, by the way, this message is for sinners here this morning, okay? So if you're not a sinner, you are dismissed. All the perfect people can now leave the service because this is a message for people who have sinned. Do you believe there's any sin in here? Absolutely. There's some, there's some hidden sin in here. And by the end of the service, our desire is that hidden sin would be confessed and forsaken and repented of so that you don't have to suffer the consequences of the anger of God. Look at verse 2. Let's find out what happened here. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. AI is not an acronym for artificial intelligence. It was actually a name of a city. It says it was near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and, God, and Joshua said to them, Go up, spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out AI. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up. Just let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack AI. Don't make all the people go up and toil there, for they are few. You know what the scouting report was on AI? They're a 16 seed, we're a 1 seed. We don't even have to start our, our starting five. Just put the backups out there. We don't have to sweat. We don't have to labor. I mean, for crying out loud, we just conquered 
Jericho. You know what they were? They were overconfident, and they underestimated the power of the enemy. And when you do that, you set yourself up for a spiritual defeat. You talk about a bracket buster? Look at verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, and they all fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as, whatever that word is, and struck them at the descent. And their hearts, the hearts of the people, melted and became as water. Do you understand that there is no temptation that you can resist when you are proud, self-righteous, and think that you cannot fall into sin? When you are overconfident and you underestimate the power of the enemy, that's when you are most prone to fall and suffer a great spiritual defeat. That's what happened here to the people of Israel. The smallest temptation is impossible for me to resist without a desperate dependency upon the grace and the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's when you are proud that you are in the most danger of being defeated by the enemy. Here's the second thing we need to learn about hidden sin. Hidden sin cannot be hidden from God. Look here at verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes. That was a sign of humility. The reason why you see this over and over in the Old Testament, when people were in sin and people were suffering spiritual defeat, the kings, the leaders, they would tear their clothes. It was a sign of what was going on inside of their own heart. They didn't want to have any pretense of wearing fine royal clothes on the outside. They wanted the outside to represent what was going on on the inside. Their hearts were broken. Their faith had been torn, and they ripped their clothes on the outside to symbolize what was going on on the inside. So Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Again, another sign of humility. Now, if you've been tracking with us through the book of Joshua, that ought to sound familiar to you. Do you remember back at the end of chapter 5 when Joshua came and met the commander of the armies of the Lord? And do you remember what Joshua did when he realized who the commander of the armies of the Lord was? What did he do? He fell on his face and worshipped. And so Joshua's like, okay, what do we do? We've been defeated. I need to go before the Lord and fall on my face and seek him. Notice what happens in verse 7. And Joshua said, alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we would have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. You know what he was saying? He's like, we never should have got in this battle to begin with. And he's asking God, why have we suffered this spiritual defeat? That's a good question to ask when you're defeated by hidden sin. God, why do I keep falling? What is going on? If you're facing some resistance in your life right now, if there's turmoil and chaos going on in your life right now, it would be good for you to go to God and ask, God, 
Is the opposition and the chaos in my life caused by some hidden sin in my life? That's a good prayer to pray. He goes in, look down here at verse 10. And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Interesting, isn't it? The Lord says to Joshua, this is not a time for you to be praying. This is a time for you to be leading. This is a time for you to get involved and go on a search for the reason why you have been defeated. It's exactly what he does. God tells him in verse 11, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them, and they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Israel is sinned. We need to define that. What, what is sin? Have you heard of it? It's a concept in the Bible. Uh, sin, it's still a thing. Whatever happened to sin? What is sin? Sin at its very core is not something that I do. Now, those are sins. There's real sins. For this message, I even thought about, like, how do we get the concept? How do we expose sin in here? And I thought, well, maybe I'll just give you a list of a hundred sins, and you could go through and check off the ones that you were hiding. I thought about that. But do you understand that sin at its core is simply unbelief? It's a failure to believe God. The reason we know that is because of those two words I had you underline there in verse 1. How does this whole episode start? It starts, notice in verse 1, with a broken faith. Do you have a broken faith? You just simply don't believe that what God has said is wrong, is wrong for you. You think all those rules and all that judgment and stuff, that's all back in the past. And we live in a contemporary society, and I'm sure God would understand. I mean, after all, I kind of feel like I just kind of was born to sin. And it's kind of good because, you know, God loves to forgive sin, and I love sin. So I have this great relationship with God because I sin and He loves. And it's just this great love relationship. If that's your attitude towards sin, you do not understand sin. Sin starts when I don't believe what God has said is true. Sin is a broken faith with God. When we come into relationship with Christ, for those of us that are Christians, we've uh, bowed before His Lordship and we said, I am living my life, no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus. When you do that, you enter into boundaries for your life. Christ is Lord. He gets to set the rules. And it doesn't matter how many shots you make outside of the boundary. It doesn't count. We're to live our lives inside the boundary. And that's what sin is. Sin is trespassing. It is, as it says here uh, in verse 11, that we transgress the covenant of the Lord. You're playing life outside of the boundaries. And when you do... It is not going to go well for you, and it's not going to go well for the people that you love. Sin is described, look here in verse 15. It says, And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, and he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the 
covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing. Sin is an outrageous thing to God. Sin no longer is an outrageous thing to you and I. We justify it. We rationalize it. We excuse it. We blame others for our sin. Rather than understanding that when I sin, I have done an outrageous thing. The word outrageous there comes from the word that can be translated stupid. Sin is stupid. Aren't you glad you came to church? Just write that down and, and remind yourself the next time you're tempted to sin. This is stupid. This is the dumbest thing that I could do is to walk outside of the boundary that God has given me. Sin is trespassing in territory that God doesn't want me to be walking in. And understand this. Sin is declaring war on God. It is setting myself up as an enemy of God and saying, God, I will set my own rules. I will live as I please. Get out of my life. And it is not until we understand that what may be covered on earth is exposed in heaven. Hidden sin cannot be hidden by God. Look down here at uh, verse 12. God wants to deal with the sin. And he says, therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They've turned their back before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. And I will be with you no more. Do you understand that when you sin, you forfeit the presence of God? The next time you're tempted to sin, understand that God says, I will be with you no more. More. It doesn't mean that we lose our relationship with Christ. It, we, it means we lose the sense of His presence, the sense of His goodness, the sense of His power. You want to go through life without the presence of God? It says, unless you destroy the devoted things from among you, in verse 12. Then in verse 13, he gives Joshua an assignment. Get up, consecrate the people, and say to the people... Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Look at verse 14. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall become near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall become near by man. Do you understand what, what God was doing? God says, I want you to get everybody in their appropriate tribe. So if there's two million people, we don't exactly know how many people there were, but let's say a tribe was like 100,000 people. And then he says, I want you to section off the 100,000 people, not by tribes, but by clans. And so maybe that was like 100 people. And then he says, by households. So maybe that's down to like 10 people. Now, if you are Achan, and you notice that Joshua is starting to put people into smaller and smaller groups to try to figure out who is the one person that has brought trouble on Israel, at what point do you stand up and say, it's me? It's me. Just stop. It's, 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 it, eventually you're going to whittle it down and you're going to find me, right? But Achan doesn't do that. 
he continues to hide and he continues to hide and God continues to expose and God continues to expose to bring it out. God wants to cut out the cancer of sin among those people. I told you a couple of weeks ago that I had this little procedure done on my foot. Let me tell you what I had. Um, it's kind of gross. I may lose credibility here, but how many of you have ever had a planter's wart? Right? Lift your hands. Confess your planter's wart in church. Get that thing exposed in church, right? So, so I went to the doctor. It, it had been there for like a year, and it was growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And he told me that when a planter's wart grows, it not only grows out, but it grows in. Ooh. And he described what was happening. He said, Trent, you have to understand, a wart is a virus. I said, no, uh He said, yeah, it's a virus. And you got to get all of it out. I'm like, can't you just kind of freeze it off? I'm like, no, that won't work. He said, Trent, you have to get every cell that has that virus in it or it will simply grow back. And so even though it was like a pencil point on my foot, he took out a quarter-sized chunk of meat out of the bottom of my foot. It's still a little tender. And when I'm feeling especially lazy and don't want to do anything around the house, I tell Andrea, it's kind of hurting today, okay? So anyway, but do you understand that sin is a virus that spreads unless you get every single cell out? That's what God is committed to do in your life, in your family, and in this church. Why are we so serious about exposing sin because God's glory is at stake among his people in the church what you think is hidden God sees in heaven it's expressed in Psalm 139 verses 11 and 12 here's a guy that's thinking you know maybe I can cover my sin he says surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night but God says, even the darkness is not dark to me. And the night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light with me. Understand that hidden sin cannot be hidden from God. And then the third thing. Hidden sin won't remain hidden. Hidden sin won't remain hidden. Look here at verse 15. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. Skip down to verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, after they had whittled it down by tribe, by clan, by household, by man, he finally walks up to Achan, and eyeball to eyeball confronts him about his sin. And he says, my son... Give glory to God. Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to Him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Interesting, isn't it? If you're going to confront somebody over sin, have you ever had this conversation with somebody that you love? Maybe a child. Maybe someone in your small group. It's a hard conversation, isn't it? It takes an incredible amount of love to have that hard conversation. You have to love someone enough to confront them over their sin. 
But I doubt that your conversation started with this. Give glory to the Lord God. Is that the way you start that conversation? So why did Joshua say that? It's because Joshua understood that giving glory to God and hiding sin are mutually exclusive activities. You can't do both at the same time. We sing the song, show me your glory, show me your glory. You want to see God's glory? Confess your sin. I, I remember as we used to travel around in life action, a lot of different churches, and, and uh, we would deal with sin. And a lot of times we would even have to deal with sin among a church staff, a pastoral staff. And I, I remember we were in this one church in Alabama, and, and this pastor, he loved to talk about the glory of God, and he loved to talk about the miraculous things, and he loved to talk about signs and wonders that were going on. And, and yet, when you talked to him, you never really felt like you were getting anything tangible or anything real that God was doing in his life. It was about 10 days into that meeting. He finally came in and confessed in humility that he'd been too busy in his ministry, he'd forsaken his ministry to his wife, he was way too caught up in his own personal activities and his personal performance, and he was, had become so proud. And he confessed that. And I just remember the glory of God descended in that conversation, and I looked at him and it's like, I said, you know what? That is the greatest sign of the glory of God that we've seen is a man humbly confessing his sin and crying out to God in need for a new start and for grace to do the thing that God has told him to do. Giving glory to God and hiding sin are mutually exclusive. If you want to see the glory of God in your life, expose the hidden sin in your life. If we want to see the glory of God in this church, hidden sin has to be exposed and rooted out and cut out from among us. You know the greatest tragedy when you hide sin is not the damage you cause to your own life. You know what the greatest tragedy is? The greatest tragedy is when you're hiding sin, God does not receive the glory from your life that he created it to generate. God created you for one purpose. It's to give glory to him. And when you're hiding sin, you're forfeiting the glory that is rightfully due to God. And so Joshua looks at him and says, give glory to God. Praise God. And do not hide your sin. He goes on, look at verse 23. Actually, verse, verse 20. Achan finally answers Joshua, and he says, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. Now, Achan's going to get really specific here. Notice what he did. He says, when I saw the spoil, a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them 
and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. And so he sees this beautiful garment. And you just have to imagine what he was thinking. He's like, I could make that look so good. So he sees it and he has to think in himself, I need that garment. Don't look at me like you're pious. If you've ever been to the mall, you've thought the same thing. I need this, right? So what was going through his mind? What, what, was, what was he thinking? Now, I don't know what he was thinking really because, I mean, how are you going to wear that and people not know that did not come from the mall in Israel, right? That came from the mall in Jericho. I don't know where he's going to think he's going to wear this thing, but... And then he's, he, he sees silver and gold. And, and he's I, I need that. Do you understand that sin is trying to satisfy a God-given desire in a God-forbidden way? What was the desire in Achan's heart in wearing the garment? Significance. If I wear that, people will think highly of me. If I wear that, I'm going to look good. And I'll feel valued. You and I have that same need. Now listen, is the desire to feel significant and valued sinful? Yes or no? No. The desire to feel significant, God's built that into us. We want to feel like we're, we're built to do something great. The problem is, is that when you try to get your desire for significance met in a God-forbidden way, that's sin. And that's what happened to Achan. And then he grabs some gold and silver. What do you do when you grab gold and silver? What desire are you trying to meet? Desire for security, right? It's when we look to things that are created rather than the creator for our security that we sin. And so if I could just have some gold, if I could just have some silver, if I could just get my retirement account, if I could just kind of have this house and this car and all these different things financially work out, then I would feel more secure. It's a lie. And it so often leads us into sin. And that's exactly what happened to Achan. His desires for security and significance led him into sin. Notice the progression of sin. He outlines it in verse 21. How did that happen? Do you see what he says? I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. That's the progression of sin, right? We see it, we covet it. We take it and we hide it. And there are so many of us right now that have done the same thing. And right now you're hiding sin. And the desire that God has for you this morning is to get it out and confess it. You may need to confess it to God. You may need to confess it to your spouse. You may need to gather your children around and say, I have not been the man that God wants me to be. You may need to go to your small group when you meet next time and say, I'm aching. And here's what 
has taken place in my life. I've seen it. I took it. I covered it. I've hidden it. And I now want to confess it. Now you may read this verse and it's like, well, Achan confessed his sin. I mean, he's so specific about what happened. What we don't see is the same level of humility and repentance that we saw earlier from Joshua. Where is the falling on his face? Where is the ripping of his clothes? Where are the ashes on his head to indicate not only did I do it, but I hate that I did it. I'm so ashamed that I did it. I never want to do it again. And he, we don't see any of that. Do you understand that confession without repentance is just an announcement? And the last thing we need in church is more announcements? Have you announced your sin or have you turned from your sin and repented of sin? Hidden sin won't remain hidden. It's coming out. As we were in Belize this week, there was probably about 100 pastors that we got to minister to. And, and uh, over a course of, of really 16-hour days, we were just trying to meet as many pastors as we could. And you got to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince. So um, we, we spent a lot of time. And, and we really poured our, our lives into these people. We really grew to love these people. Andrea was with us. And, and um, while I was doing a session kind of down in the main auditorium of this church that we were meeting in, I was actually leading a session on the importance of the home in the life of a pastor and, and how you have to make sure that you don't put your ministry before your marriage because it's so easy to believe that if I take care of my ministry, God will take care of my marriage. And I'm like, guys, that is a lie. you got to take care of your marriage and trust God to take care of your ministry because if you lose your marriage, you lose your ministry. That's what I was pouring into these pastors. At the very same moment, Andrea was upstairs in the church and she had about 25 of these pastors' wives and she was pouring into them. And after her session, one of these ladies went to Andrea and said, can I talk to you? And she said, sure. And she said, I'd like you to come back to my house. And so Andrea was going back to her house to sit and visit with her. And, and this lady said, I, I'm, I'm a little afraid to talk to you because it's about my husband. And, and she went on to tell Andrea that her husband, pastor, was actually living with another woman. Committing adultery. And everybody in the church knew it. And all the pastors knew about it. Andrea grabbed a couple of other, other pastors and sat with this wife and that pastor along with two of our harvest pastors and Andrea and for hours pleaded with this man and this couple to repent of sin and put God back in the priority position in their life. Unfortunately, sadly, this pastor welled up with pride, put up walls, shut down, and chose to hide sin. Hidden sin won't remain hidden. God is going to bring it out. He loves His church way too much to let it continue. And then this, hidden sin will bring certain pain. We see that in Achan's life. Look at verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath, 
And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before who? Before the Lord. The Lord was there. The place to bring your hidden sin is into the presence of the Lord. Verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. The word Achor means trouble. And this was a valley, a low point of trouble. Verse 25, and Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. If Achan had had any foresight to believe that the price tag of his sin was that he was going to lose everything and that sin was going to bring certain pain, not only to him, but to his wife and to his children and everything that had anything to do with him would be lost. Do you think he would have valued that garment? Do you think he would have wanted to pay that kind of price tag for his sin? No, and so that's the way it works. The devil wants to blind you to the price tag of sin. He wants to whisper in your ear and say, this won't cost you anything. This won't hurt you. This won't hurt anybody. And that's what he does. He deceives us into thinking we can tolerate this in our lives. And we don't understand the pain that sin will bring into our lives. And so Joshua and the people say, we're not going to let this virus spread. We're going to deal with it right here and right now because we don't want to trouble the rest of the people. I heard this week a report that... um, Shamu is sick. Did you hear this? Have you ever gone to SeaWorld and, and seen? They call him Shamu. This is actually Tilikum. And um, recently, our family watched this very troubling documentary called Blackfish about Tilikum. He's a 35-year-old whale that's been at SeaWorld for, for many years. And, of course, you've seen the tricks and how the trainers get in the water with them and all the different things, and we all applaud. But the reality is this. Tilikum is a killer well. And, in fact, he's actually killed three trainers in his lifetime. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm thinking if you get into the water with an animal that has killer for his first name, (laughs) you probably get what you deserve, right? I mean, sad reality here. But um, do you understand this? There has never been a report of any kind of a killer whale harming a human being as long as he is in the wild. The problem happens when you try to contain them. 
or train them or play with them. And the same thing is true with sin. If you try to manage your sin, if you try to contain your sin, if you try to train it and do tricks when you want it to behave, and you play with it, that's what gets you in trouble. You cannot manage sin. Hidden sin will bring certain pain. Proverbs 28 verse 23 says this, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. You like promises in God's word? Here's one for you. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. What do I do immediately after I sin? You have two options. You can either conceal it, which will ensure certain pain in the future, or you can confess it and obtain mercy. Two options every time I sin. The pain of Achan's sin took the form of physical pain. The people circled around Achan and they all grabbed stones and they began to hurl them at Achan. Pretty soon bruises appeared on his body. Pretty soon blood started to flow. And pretty soon he was dead and buried by sin. Now, if you're here this morning and you're contemplating becoming a Christian and you're thinking, that's what church people do. They circle around you, they pick up stones, and they hurl them at you when you confess sin. Let me tell you a little story in the New Testament. There was a lady who was committing adultery. She was caught. Her sin was exposed. They drug her out in the streets. And they threw her at the feet of Jesus. And those self-righteous religious leaders said, Jesus, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? Do you remember what Jesus said? Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all dropped the rocks and left. And then Jesus leaned down to this woman and said this, Who is there to condemn you? And she said, No one. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Here's the last thing we need to learn about hidden sin. Hidden sin doesn't have to bury you. The whole chapter starts out with this statement. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Then look at verse 26. The last verse in the chapter says this. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Have you found yourself in the story yet? You and I are modern-day Achans. The reason I know that is because we've already dismissed all the perfect people. 
The only people left are people like Achan who have sinned. We've broken faith. We've transgressed. We have tried to satisfy God-given desires in a God-forbidden way. And here we are. And do you understand that the Lord's anger burns against us? Our only hope of making it out alive is for something to motivate God to turn his anger away from us. Do you understood? Do you understand what happened 2,000 years ago? We celebrated this week. One day, God sent his son and hung him on a cross for six hours. God hurled stones of judgment and anger and wrath at his own son. And he threw strikes. And there were bruises that appeared on Jesus' body. And there was blood that flowed until finally Jesus was dead and buried by your sin. And they put one final stone in front of the tomb. And for three days, Jesus was crushed by the weight of your sin and my sin. But three days later, the stone was rolled away and Jesus was victorious over sin and death and spiritual defeat was crushed by the weight of a victory that Jesus won over my sin. Only those who will confess and believe that Jesus paid the price tag for the sin that I committed. Only those that trust in the Savior's love and victory that He won at Easter over sin. Only those that believe have any hope that God's anger will be turned on the day of judgment. Where does God find you this morning? Does he find you hiding sin? Do you know the reason we hide sin? It's because we don't think there's any remedy for it. We don't think that God's gracious enough and good enough and forgiving enough to forgive a modern-day Achan like me. Do you have a broken faith? The remedy is to repent and believe. It's the only remedy for sin. And to trust that Jesus Christ on that cross took every stone that should have been hurled at me. Is there any hidden sin in here? Now's the time to confess it and deal with it. Some of you need to go to God right now in your heart of hearts and quit justifying, and quit rationalizing, and quit moralizing, and blaming somebody else for your sin, and you need to repent, fall on your face, and repent of sin. But don't leave it there. Some of you need to go to a spouse, you need to go to a child, you need to go to a parent, some of you need to get on the phone or walk into an employer's office this week and confess that you have wronged that person. Some of you may need to come to a pastor 
and confess, I have been hiding sin for years, and I'm tired of it. And today I repent. What is God asking you to do? I'd like us to stand, bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's all stand in the presence of the Lord. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to give you some time just to do business with the Lord. What has the Holy Spirit said to you specifically, more specifically than I can say? He knows. Hidden sin cannot be hidden from God. I want you to talk to Him from your heart to His. Confess. Confession is simply agreeing with God, acknowledging your need for a fresh start, a new beginning. And as you're standing there, I want to invite you. We have pastors and elders, and friends down here at the front that would, would love to pray with you. There's no perfect people in here. We're all worthy of God's anger and judgment. And some of you have privately in your heart many times confessed sin, but you're still caught up in it. The reason you're caught up is because you've, let to, you've yet to bring it to light. You've, net, you've yet to ask for help. Have somebody hold you accountable, encourage you, and pray for you. This is the moment for you. For some of you, your, your heart's beating hard, your palms are sweating. You're wondering, what would people think if I move right now? Let me tell you what they'd think. They'd think, there's a person that's humble enough to confess sin. That's a person that wants to prosper and to be set free. If you need to move, you move right now. You come down that aisle. With every step, you crush the pride and self-righteousness in your own soul. Why don't you come? We're not going to wait long. But if you need to come, come now. Some of you may just need to take the, wife, the, light, the, the hand of your wife or your husband Maybe you just need to dismiss yourself. Find a quiet place. Let's get honest before the Lord. Humble ourselves. What's God requiring of you? Listen, don't wait for it to be exposed. Humble yourself. Confess, repent, believe.